Hello. It is the much-anticipated and long-awaited return of my podcast show. I don't want to spend too much time on an introduction for a show that needs no introduction. I am Tommy Shushu. I am the host. And joining me today is a wonderful man, a renaissance man, a man with thoughts on moving across the country, on fantasy sport, on art, music, politics, you name it. This guy's got to take, and I'm going to get it from him, forcefully if I have to. Let's do it. All right, it has been way too long since I had a chance to catch up with Eli, so here's a podcast with Eli. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. It has been a while. We got to do this more often. Schedules in life and stuff like that sometimes get in the way. My understanding is you've recently made a pretty significant life change in moving from wonderful California to, well, I won't put an adjective on it. I'll just say Florida. Trashy Florida. That's where I'm at now. But there, there was a reason why I ended up here. I was on my way to Costa Rica and hit a bump in the road. So I'm going to be here for a little bit until uh, you know I get my, my finances back in order. It's much, much cheaper than in California, no income tax. And I actually just walked into an open house on my walk with my dog. It's a three-bedroom, two-bath, and I'm on the water. I'm down near Madeira Beach, and it was $250,000. Nice. In San Diego, that's like $2.5 million. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's drastically different. Yeah, and I like it here so far, but... Talk to me in July, and I'll let you know how much I'm liking it. How's the dog enjoying it? Much more humid, and um, for now it's okay. Uh, but my dog is French bulldog, and so he's got that you know small nasal passages, and he uh, has trouble breathing because he's got the short face or smush face. We're, we're breaking him in slowly to try and get him used to it, so that this summer will be as bad. Yeah, he's just let me know. That's right, bro. It's fucking humid down yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you bring me here? California was perfect. Can't not say it. So you moved from California where uh, we have legalized recreational marijuana and we are not a state that voted for Donald Trump. And you have gone to a place where weed is illegal and uh, Trump carried that state. So, I mean, I'm not trying to make it all about dope and politics, but just any quick thoughts on, on what the demo shift is like? That's a great question. Um, for one, um, you're right. That was the biggest difference because, you know, I, I've been uh, a medical user of marijuana for several years, and now I leave right when you can recreationally smoke it or purchase it. But I think something the other day that uh, they're taxing it 30%. Is that true? Yeah, it's more like 35. It's closer to 35. So you figure, you know, we were doing better when it was, you know, medicinal. I have a receipt right here in my pocket. Hang on, I'll tell you. So... Um, hypothetically, if I had purchased uh, $123 worth of edibles, uh, the sales tax was, oh my God, there's a $17 excise tax, a $12 MBT, whatever that might be, and then the regular $14 sales tax. I don't know if my math is super sharp right now, but I'm adding all that up and it comes to about 43 bucks on 123 That's so ridiculous. We're, we're- before, you know, we weren't taxing the medicinal, so it was just the 123. Yeah. And so what I read was, that, don't quote me in the numbers, but the first month they made like $43 million or something like that. And they were expecting it to be like 70 or something like that. So uh, they're believing that, you know, the high tax forcing people to go back to the, you know, the black market to pick it up. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, if it's the same quality, why not? 
Um, but down here, I'll pay that tax because they can't get it. Right. It's not like uh, California where you just walk down the street and you smell it everywhere. Yeah, it's a lot different here. So I've just been getting edibles. I will say, well, I only do edibles because runners don't smoke and smokers don't run. Yep. But I will say what the tax thing is for me, how I'm justifying it is I no longer have to go see creepy medical weed doctor guy. How illegitimate was that racket? Yeah. You sit down and say, you're like, you're like, yeah, I have a hanging nail. He's like, well, here's a prescription. Everyone's going through the motions, and most of the yeah. docs that I saw were completely creepy. Can we at least stay in character here and you pretend to be a doctor? Sure. Maybe wear a stethoscope? Something. Let me, let me check my blood pressure while I'm here. It's a cash-only transaction, which only adds to the legitimacy. And then you got to go yeah. back every year. So the question is, once a year, would I like to be completely creeped out and inconvenienced to see a fraud doctor who will write me a wreck? Yeah. Or would I rather have California stick it in me for 35%? Tough call, man. Well, as, as long as they're using that tax properly. I and mean, we both know the government tends to uh, put that, <laughs> oh, some of that sure. money in their pocket. I'm sure they're using it. Uh, there'll be a bullet train from Baco to L.A. soon, and hopefully all my weed tax. <laughs> um, they're going to have some weed bars, too, I heard. Right? They're going to... Uh... I haven't seen them. In San Francisco proper, a lot of political headaches because most of the dispensaries are pretty much clustered, and other neighborhoods really are nimby. They're like, no way, man. You can't put a dispensary here, and here's all my, my zoning laws. I mean, we'll see what happens. There's going to be winners and losers like everything else. There'll be some businesses that mm -hmm. thrive. Some people will get screwed and won't be able to expand. Successful dispensaries in the Castro are going to go out of their way to block access to you know the Western neighborhoods because they want those people to come to their shop. So there'll be all the usual fuckery, I'm sure. Here's a smooth transition. I definitely need that out of body high as I look at some of my fantasy baseball starts of the year. <laughs> oh my good fucking uh, god, man! Well, what's your um? Where where you at? How many teams are you? And where are your uh, rankings, dude? So that's a great question in the sense that what is the volume of leagues that's just right? I play in a total of five seasonal leagues. One of those is the first time I've ever done it. It's a Yahoo Pro League that a friend of mine sent me an invite to. It was an early draft, so back in February. So that team is a February shape. I don't know <laughs> what the actual rules are. I think I paid 50 bucks in. I have no idea what the payouts are. I'm much more in it for the trophy than whatever little sure. you know financial reward would come with that. I've got that. I've got the home league, which I was very pleased to get you into this year. Yeah, I like it. After that, the third league, I'm in. I'm not even sure it qualifies as a league. I don't know if our friend Deboff will be listening to this podcast or not, and no disrespect to him, but that's kind of like, <laughs> uh, like the little the, the the short bus league where it's only ten teams and people with lives and wives, and they're not degenerates like you and I that are fucking all over yeah. this thing every second of the day. So you know what I mean? Gotcha. And then I have the absolute love of my life, which is called the Kingman. It's a weekly league. The only time I'll ever play in a weekly format. It's uh -huh. got some keepers and a salary cap. It is the most wonderful fantasy experience of all time. And then the most competitive thing I play in is, of course, Norwegian Wood, where, oddly enough, you are in first place and I am not. <laughs> what an April you've had, man. Tell me about it. Well, 
I mean, I, it started off so, but the last couple of weeks have been jamming. That, that's my favorite league as well because the competition, like you said, we're all on it several times a day, and there's huge rosters. There's 16 teams in this league, so you really dig it. And that gives us an advantage, like you said, on the short bus leagues. Like we're, we're looking at the waiver wire and like, good God, how are these people here? The way I look at things as far as like, you know, how, how competitive the league is, it is based on home percentage. And it's not like the end-all, be-all, but it gives you an idea of how the users across the Yahoo leagues are doing the same players you are. Right. So um, right right now, if you look at the top six of ours in uh, Norwegian Wood, five of them are not even active. They're top prospects. We're looking at Vlad Guerrero, Victor Robles. Yeah, it's guys who aren't in Major League Baseball is the easiest way to say it. Exactly. It's such a delicate balance between what is a competitive league where everybody's active and trying and what is just not as much fun as I was hoping it would be because there are 16 teams. There's 29, I think roster spots. If you have a guy who gets hurt all of a sudden, it's like, that's it. I just have to play shorthanded. And it's, I think it's Mm -hmm. just too much, man. Mm -hmm. You can go too far. Where, where's the line for how deep the player pool should be? We were talking about this on Twitter the other day. Uh, as you were voicing your displeasure with how big Norwegian Wood is. And uh, I agree with you. There is that happy balance because we both know there's luck involved. So you're trying to mask the luck somewhat by increasing the roster size. So you do have to use that deep knowledge. But then a couple of guys get hurt. Now you're looking for guys who are buried in, you know, AAA and hoping they get called up at some point. So, um, yeah, I agree. There's a there's a fine line there, and as we were discussing the other day, I think uh, 14 teams and we'll be safe. There's nothing wrong with going 300 players, 350 players deep. Once you get over that, the, the law of diminished returns starts to kick into overdrive, and it's yeah. like you know, if Josh Harrison gets hit by a pitch and breaks his wrist, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a significant problem. It, which sounds yep. absurd. Here's a guy who, in the short bus league, he's going to be on waivers. But mm-hmm. in a league that's rolling, you know, over 400 players deep, it's like, oh, shit, man. I have access to baseball reference, and here's our first chance for a trivia question. Has Mike Mussina ever won the World Series? Ooh. Oh, that's a great question. All right, so when did he go over there? It was probably like 99, 2000. So he would have been there for the 2000 series. They lost in 01 to the Diamondbacks. Think it through. Uh, I'm thinking 04, we won it. They didn't win another one until like 08. 09, actually. Yeah, 09. So then it would have to have been the 2000 season that they won it. I'm going to say yes, he won the 2000 World Series. Wrong! Wrong! He came to the Yankees in 2001. Oh! He lost the World Series to the Diamondbacks and the, whatever, the Luis Gonzalez broken bat up the middle thing. I loved it. Jumping up and down on my bed. No no lie. The Angels are hoping to collect a lot of data. And what I mean by that is they have a guy who they want to see how he pitches. They want to praise how he hits. This is really going to get interesting in August. A-Rod's. Believe it or not, I think he's pretty good at this uh, commentating thing. Like, I disliked him and every word he said as a Yankee, but he's pretty good and much better than Pete Rose or 
Joe Morgan or any of those guys. He's he's pretty good at uh, you know being this in, in studio talent. What do you think? I've never seen it once, so it, I can't I can't say anything about A Rod. I think I've heard him in the booth for ESPN. Yep. I generally don't consume any of the pregame postgame shows. It's true. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't have any opinion on any of those guys other than I do hate listen to SNY, the Mets guys. Oh, dude, I will turn that up for whatever reason. The troll in me just can't let it go. I got to turn it up and listen to it <laughs> and just fucking rage hate on Keith Hernandez. God, that guy makes yep. me that guy makes me miserable with everything he says and all of his droning on. Yeah, him. There's a few other of them. Um, uh, Hawk um, for the White Sox. Fucking was it Michael K on the Yankees radio? Coming up with nicknames for everybody. Today, Bob from A Rod. Michael K is cool. Michael K is the guy who's on. Uh, yes, you're talking about. I, I think his name is Sterling. Yeah, and he's the guy who you always hear in the clips. He's the radio guy, and it's an A Bomb from A Rod. Yep. Oh, believe me, especially when you're not a fan of him. And I have I have friends who are Yankee fans who don't even like him. He's just he's too over the top. It, it, it's almost comical. It's almost I mean, you know, it's almost like he's doing it on purpose to make you laugh. That's how bad it is. It's really and, and, bad. And you know what? One thing that I will say, I mean, you see everyone can hate on the Red Sox and our announcers as much as they want, but I hear Jerry Remy all the time say stuff that is is as a baseball fan, as a Red Sox announcer, like he'll be like, "Oh yeah, you saw he missed the tag that Yankee guy saved." Right? He'll be honest and straightforward, which a lot of the announcers are. A lot of the announcers are such homers. They like Tommy Heinsohn. Every Tommy Heinsohn thinks there's never been a foul on the Celtics. <laughs> Celtics have never fouled anybody, and every time they touch the ball, they're fouled. It's like LeBron. Right. I definitely so as a kid who grew up in Boston, I do remember Johnny most, probably the most. Mm -hmm. And his, his call when he used to call Dennis Rodman and John Sally hot dog and mustard. And then he would just <laughs> ream. Be, oh, and they, they did call a foul on a, his majesty in his own kingdom. Magic is crying all over the forum floor. That was actually really good. That was, that was good. really good. You did sound like a, that was a good Johnny most his hot dog over the mustard and he stuffs it. That was pretty accurate. That was pretty accurate. I kind of, uh, you, you could do a little bit on that. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned Remy, who I can't stand. I don't enjoy Remy's call. I absolutely do like Michael K. And yes, is one of my favorite. They're great. And I can't have you insult the legend Hawk Harrelson. Yeah, he's a flaming homer and stuff, but he's the example of how to do it correctly. He's hilarious. I love everything about him. I really just dislike the uh, put it on the board. That's yes. the one that I that, yeah, that that's the one that uh, it bothers me. Just he's got can of corn. He's got stretch. He's got he gone. Um, he calls the Red Sox the Carmines. He calls the White Sox the Pale Hose. It's just, it's all so legendary to me. I just think it's wonderful, and I I fully understand that it's all subjective and everyone has a different view of this stuff. Oh my God, I could listen to Hawk all day. There's nothing wrong with the Hawk's call. Want to talk a little bit about uh, this Red Sox start? I mean, is this a sign of things to come, or are we just on a hot streak? I mean, obviously they're going to slump at some point, but are they really this good? Because they're pretty much the same team as last year. 
What do you think? I went out to Baseball Reference. Shout out again to Baseball Reference. God, what a great site. And I looked back so to what is supposed to be, I guess, the, the greatest start ever, or at least my understanding has always been that the 84 Tigers, it was their start was the most amazing thing of all time. So I went and looked at it, and they're essentially on the exact same pace. So if that means that they're going to mm. win the World Series, I think that would be awesome, but I'm not sure that's exactly what it means. Mm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll tell you this much. I do love Core, and I did not like Farrell. So I can understand in the locker room, there's probably a much different culture and people are a little more loose and not fearing the manager. Um, I think that loosens up guys a lot. And I think, you know, when you're loose and you're having fun, you're playing a lot, a lot more. Uh, you're having fun. It's like the game is fun again. You're not playing for money and you're not coming to work. It's, it's, you're coming to play ball. And I think that's a, that's a major reason that, that we're, uh, that we're on to this hot start that we are. Think about this, too. We don't even have Pedroia. We don't have Xander, right? And we're still missing some bullpen help like Thornburg. It's, the best is yet to come, in, but I don't think this is a, a year-long thing. We're going to have a month where we probably go 500 at best. I would say that the way it looks, they've got just as good a shot as anyone and maybe better. You can't forecast health but assuming that all of the teams stay in, or excuse me, assuming all of the teams stay healthy and the people that they currently have on the roster, significant injuries come back. Dude, you want to think that having sale is a huge key difference. You know what I mean? That's in a short series, you get to pitch sale. And can you beat the Red Sox in a five game series in that format? Well, obviously the Astros did. So, They've just got to figure out a way to not lose in the short series. But Sale lost two games last year out of five. I was five. about to say, you know, right now, if you look at his numbers, or not really his numbers because they're amazing as always, but thus far he has one win out of five starts. He has not gone any run support. But that's, that's part and parcel to being the ace, though. When you're the ace, that's what you sign up for, is you're generally going to face the other team's ace. So during your starts, there's going to be fewer runs scored because you're the one who draws Barrios. You're the one who draws everybody else's top start. So, you know, last night he drew Manea, who he just earlier you were saying he's a top 10 guy. So on that night, Manea yep. was so fucking good that Sale couldn't win and yep. he didn't get run support. But that's what he signs up for when he becomes one of the highest good paid point. players and he's the ace. That's what you got to deal with, man. So he's, you know, you don't want to crack on a guy. He had two shots at it last year and he, you know, they didn't find a way to get it done. It seems incredibly likely that they'll get another bite at the apple in a five-game series this year. So Sale either comes through, and he's the one who has the amazing start. Not just his regular start, which is great, where he gives up two runs, three runs, and needs the team to, to win, but he's the one who has the one-hit shutout. No, that's a, good, that's a good point of view. I didn't even you know, realize that when, uh, when I you know, was looking at his record. You're right, he does get the ones. Um, but at the same time, when our offense is humming like it was last night or going into last night, leading the league in runs, leading the league in home runs, just being completely blank, um, you would think that we get a couple off of off of Sean, and we didn't. We didn't. So, I mean, tip of the cap to him, by the way. Even Hanley went on social media last night, tweeted out something saying, you know, directly at him saying, you know, well-pitched game, you, you deserve it, we can find you. you know, that's that's classy move. That's a classy move. You got to tip your cap once in a while. And last night is no exception. 
let me ask you this, because we uh, we were talking about this a couple of weeks weeks ago. What's your opinion? Of, uh, uh, oh, I can't pronounce his name. Show show me the money. Shohei Otani. Show. Oh, that guy. Yeah, 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 that guy. I know you drafted him in a couple of leagues that we're in. You got both uh, both sides of that, whether it was uh, him as a utility hitter or the starting pitcher. So what's your, uh, what's your thoughts thus far? Here's my thing on Shohei is uh, I definitely enjoyed the, the hype of him coming into draft season. When it was early, it still cost a bit, but I, was, I just wanted a piece. So give me a guy on the West Coast. Give me the, the super hype. I'll be able to go and read Japanese newspapers online and stuff like that. That's a lot of fun. So, you know, I was initially invested and then he got nuked in spring training and I let myself listen a little bit too much to all the buzz. I still drafted him, you know, now at a discount rate, but you may have been one of the people who I actually sent a trade offer to back before the start of the season. So in that window, even though I kept acquiring him, I started to get some second kind of second guessing myself, if that makes sense. Even though nobody Uh had played yet, there were no game results to base it on. So talk about a a flaw in the process. I, I was just like, man, maybe I should try to sell. And nobody would buy, and then bang, we were off and running. He, you know, he did what he did. The funny thing is, I made you. You made me the same exact offer that I'd made you like a week or ten days earlier. And I said, I remember my quote was, "That ship has already sailed." Or sailed. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was drinking the Kool Aid too about yeah, it happens. being overmatched. It was, man. It was not. Uh, it was not a good way. You got to trust the process, right? Isn't that what they say? Yeah, but sometimes here's the thing about that is it takes a robotic kind of mentality to follow the process at all times and block out joy. And it's like, that's not why I play the game. I don't play the game to try and have the you know most astute processing. I play the game to try and have fun. So I'll do things like I'll stay in a Byron Buxton auction bid way over any perceived value he could return on projections just because I fucking want him. It is to have fun. A lot of people look at it differently than that. And, you know, once in a while, you got to splurge on some guys. For instance, my last draft, I had not had Mookie yet, so I was not losing Mookie. I would have gone up to 60 bucks if I had to. I had not had Sale yet. I think I ended up getting him for like 46 or $47. So you got to splurge once in a while. And, and for the record, in that league, I'm in first place, too. Just, you know, pat myself. Okay, that's, make sure. that's a good ad. Thanks. Good info. <laughs> so it... Oh, wait, here we go. I just found it. I, just, I was looking for the trade offer. I offered you Duvall, Adam Duvall, straight up for Otani. You write, this is not a very good starting point. And this was, oh, I'm sorry, that was in April 9th. That was my bad, actually. That was an awful trade offer on April 9th. Yeah, it was pretty bad, man. Yeah, on April 9th. Was yeah, everybody's the, uh, trying to get value. It's no hard feelings here. I'm not somebody who fucking yeah. wigs out on a bad trade offer. You can, you can send as many awful offers as you want. <laughs> Let me use that as the final thing. Any final thoughts? One, one thought. I was actually thinking about you the other day. I was listening to some Soundgarden. I know it's your favorite band. It is. And I'm still not over Chris Cornell, by the way. Yeah, like, I, I still don't get that one. Of all of them, that's the one I don't get. Like, I get Link Staley, you know, I, I get, you know, uh, anyway, I get a lot of those guys. I do not get Chris Cornell. Um, so I was thinking uh, two questions. One part, do you believe any truth 
to the conspiracy theory that him and Chester were somehow connected to some L.A. something or other cult something that murdered them. No, no. That's the first time I've heard that, and um, I, I would be a strong no on that. Okay, I agree. Um, and then my second question, what's your favorite deep cut? Um, I guess I would say Mind Riot off of Bad Motor Finger, Drawing Flies off of Bad Motor Finger, which actually has saxophone in it. It's an amazing song. Or Ty Cobb off of Down on the Upside, Hard-Headed Fuck You All. Oh, man, there's so many great, great songs. Those ones are the ones that pop to mind right now, though. Does uh, Slaves or what? Bulldozers and Slaves? Slaves and Bulldozers, I, I definitely would not consider that to be a deep track. I think most people okay. know. So everything off the top of Bad Motor Finger, Rusty Cage, Slaves and Bulldozers, Outshined, and even Jesus Christ Pose because they did that video. Oh my God, I was, having a, I was having a conversation with Jeffrey, my good friend, about how not well Soundgarden videos from the 90s held up. If you get a chance to go back and rewatch any of the Soundgarden videos, decline it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get into that because it's, you're not going to like where it ends up. That stuff has not held up well. And we buzzed over and checked out some old Nirvana videos too. And you know the teen spirit thing is iconic. The anarchy cheerleaders are always going to play. It doesn't quite get tired. But some of the other stuff where he's like swinging around on a chandelier, it's like, oh my good God, this, this is terrible. <laughs> this is some really awful shit. But, you know, that's art for you. That is art. And again, it's objective. Absolutely. All right, man. Glad we got a chance right, to catch up. Yeah, always. <laughs>